All right, church fam, let's get together in God's word. Turn with me to uh, Luke 2, we'll be in verses 1 through 21 today. Merry Christmas to each of you, and uh, if you're new to Harvest Visiting for the first time today, Merry Christmas to each of you. I'm Pastor Mike, and we're really glad that you're here, and looking forward to following up with you any way that we can to help you, encourage you along in the Lord. Uh, Merry Christmas to each of you. Uh, Today, our title is Gloria in Excelsis. Deo. We thought we'd try to be a little Latin with our title today, and we sang it multiple times this morning. And we're going to talk about what that phrase means and why the angels sang it. We'll see that in our passage today. Uh, in, in high school, I was in, just don't, don't tell anyone about this, okay? I was in, at Millbrook High School, I was in uh, what was called the Madrigals Choir. And every fall, we would work really hard toward an epic Christmas concert. So basically, when school started in August, we started singing Christmas music because we're going to do like eight or ten songs at this thing, and it was always really fun. The auditorium would always be packed, right? People love Christmas, and people love singing Christmas music. And so one of those songs was Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and that song, as you know, contains the lyric, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And I remember Mrs. Marley was our uh, choir director great lady, and uh, she would uh, be really on our case all the time about how we pronounced Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And she would, while we were rehearsing, she would be like, Excelsis, all right? (laughs) So I want everyone with me to just be like, Excelsis, okay? And then while we were performing or rehearsing, she would, you know, she's the director, so she'd be down there, we're up here, and she would point like this, to anybody who was pronouncing it wrong, and she'd be like, right? Y'all with me on that? It's like no one in the audience can see that she's pointing, but she's calling people out, right? So y'all know in Christmas vacation when like the great-grandpa is like, the blessing, y'all know that part, right? So that's what she was doing, except she's like, eggshells. She didn't sound like that at all, but I just kind of went that went there. All right, so... Uh, Gloria in excelsis is Latin for glory be to God in the highest. Glory be to God in the highest. And obviously the angels didn't sing Latin, right? Um, But that phrase is captured for us from Luke 2. And we're going to unpack today what it means in, in three ways as we move through the passage. So there's an angel choir that shows up and sings Gloria in excelsis Deo, to a, a, a bunch of shepherds who are on a hilltop about God the Father having sent God the Son to this earth to give humanity peace if they would accept him by faith. And so I want to share that story with you today from Luke 2. And here's our big idea. It's very simple. Glory be to God for sending Jesus. That's really what Gloria and Excelsis means. And Gloria and Excelsis Deo. Glory be to God for sending Jesus. And I pray that this passage today, our time together today, These songs, these prayers, the readings, all minister to you by the power of the Holy Spirit toward your peace with God through Jesus. So let's move um, through this passage today in three ways and look at glory, how it kind of develops this phrase and what the Lord is doing. So first from verses one through seven is this glory of God in the lowest. So before we get to glory to God in the highest, we're going to see what God has done to bring glory to the 
lowest bring the Lord Jesus here to humanity. So look at verses one through five. It says, in, the, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. All right, so here's what's going on. This registration was likely for population accuracy and tax reasons. These things occurred a lot, uh, I think every 14 years or so back in the day. And What's so amazing about this passage is unknown to these governors and these people who are listed here who were world leaders at the time or area leaders at the time, God is orchestrating what they would do and the decrees that they would announce so that Jesus can come, right? The Lord, and that's just a ton of hope for us today, right? Like God is over governments. That's a, an amazing hope for us today. And so we know from Micah 5.2 that God has prophesied that the, the Savior would be born in this little town named Bethlehem. And Micah 5.2 is saying, from Bethlehem would come one who is to be a ruler coming from the ancient of days, which is amazing. This, this means that this ruler pre-exists. This ruler is eternal. He's coming from the ancient of days and would be born in Bethlehem of all places, an obscure place, which is what the Lord does all the time. He proves to us how amazing and precise his steadfast love is by doing really specific things that would make no sense otherwise, right? So Micah 5.2, fulfilled in this passage, or about to be. So imagine being Joseph and Mary, right? They're, she is full term, and this, and this announcement comes, and they have to leave and go to do this registration. And think about the inconvenience of this and the uncomfortable trip. Like, you ladies who have delivered babies, like, imagine uh, she's got to be on a horse or a mule or a donkey for a while in this trip while she is full-term or close to full-term. So for sure, inconvenient and uncomfortable, but they go. Here's verses six and seven. It says, and while they were there, so now they're in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. So, I mean, just imagine, right? She's there. She goes in labor. She hasn't, uh, like all this stuff from her baby shower is way back in Nazareth. So now like, what in, what in the world? We got to figure all of this stuff out, right? So it comes time for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So Mary starts having contractions while she's in Bethlehem for this registration, and she's having contractions before they have lodging. So just imagine the scene, right? Joseph is probably trying to figure out, like, all right, Mary, you, you hang here. No, I can't leave you. All right, let's go try to figure out, like, where we're going to where we're gonna do this. And, and there's no lodging at the Bethlehem Inn, right? It's full. So they find shelter in an animal stable. And it says very specifically here that Jesus is born and placed in a manger. Uh, manger, in this passage alone, that word is used three times. And we know when we're reading the scriptures and we're studying the scriptures, you see things repeated like this, you're like, God is trying to tell us something, right? So we think, well, what is a manger? And why would it be in this passage multiple times? So we know what a manger looks like because we've seen pictures and all of the Christmas stuff that's out there. And, and I think they're accurate. Manger is a 
simple, off-the-ground, X-shaped wooden animal feed trough, very simply, all right? So I, w- I want to ask you some questions. I'm going to give you an answer so, so you don't have to feel pressure, okay? So for what is a manger when it has hay in it? The answer is food for animals, okay? So I'm going to ask that again, and you just answer food for animals, okay? Uh, for what is a manger when it has hay in it? Y'all are so smart, all right? And then, uh, second question, for what is a manger when it has Jesus in it? Food for humanity. So think about that. Someone said, oh, shoot, all right? Someone, so think about that. A manger when it has hay in it is food for animals. A manger when it has Jesus in it is food for humanity. Jesus would go on. He's ministering to people multiple times. He would say, I am the bread of life. And then he would say, "Say, uh, take of me and you will have eternal life, life to the fullest. He is food for humanity. And then think about this as well. The other crude wooden object that Jesus would be placed on at the end of his life is a wooden cross. And that is how he became the means of food for humanity. He sacrificed himself to become the penalty of sin so that by believing in him, we would be forgiven and have eternal life. When he's born, he's placed in a crude wooden manger. When he's dying, he's placed on a, uh, as he dies, he's placed, he has been placed on a crude wooden cross. For us. You see how all of that ties together, all of that meaning right there in the animal stable. Jesus offers eternal life for salvation. Philippians 2, I want to show it to you. Philippians 2, 7 through 8 kind of ties all of this together. Birth to cross for Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus made himself nothing. So, right, he's, he's in heaven. He he's, has all of his eternal glory. He exists eternally. Jesus is uncreated. He comes here. He's made nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Philippians 2, 7 and 8. So the eternal God, Jesus Christ, took off his heavenly glory, became a human being so that he could pay the human sacrifice for sin, the glory of God in the lowest, right? The glory of God in the lowest. So that's first. And then next we get to glory of God, glory to God in the highest. And this is what we're used to singing, glory to God in the highest from verses 8 through 14. So look at, look at verses 8 and 9 as we continue in the passage. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? They were filled with fear. All right, so glory to God in the highest. Here's this moment. There's our word glory, and glory means manifest presence. So the manifest presence of God is there. That's, that's this angel appearing to these shepherds. They're in the same region, but not in Bethlehem. They probably work for people in Bethlehem, uh, right? So they're, they're there. And so what's going on in this moment? Why are they full of fear? So in the Bible, when angels appear to human beings, humans are always terrified. We talk about that a lot. Like every time we see an angel, as we, as we go through the scriptures together, um, humans are terrified. Why? Number one, 
seeing angels is abnormal, right? Seeing angels is abnormal, so you're like, oh, there's an angel, right? There's that, right? Or you're like, what is that? And you, and you, right? But more importantly than that, they know it's an angel, and they know that angels often bring messages of judgment. Angels bring messages of judgment. And for we humans who are sinners, when we see the divine, we're immediately convicted and struck to the heart, like, what is about to happen to me? And so these shepherds are feeling that. They're just doing their thing in the, in the fields at night. It's dark. It's so quiet, right? Like, it is quiet, first century quiet and dark. And then an angel appears with all the light, and that light is from the glory of God. And the scene changes completely. And so in this scene, and then again at the resurrection scene, when those ladies meet an angel, when the tomb is empty, the angels offer grace in this moment because they know the ladies in the resurrection scene are scared out of their minds because there's an angel, and they know that these shepherds here in this scene are scared out of their minds. So what do they say? They say, fear not, for we bring you good news of great joy at the birth narrative of Jesus and at the resurrection narrative of Jesus, angels are helping them to be relieved because of the fear that they feel because of the presence of these angels from the presence of God and because we as humans are sinful people. So look at verses 10 through 11. This is what they say. The angels said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you this day, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this verse has the announcement for them and for us. It shares who Jesus is. And very specifically, it says Jesus is the Savior. Even more specifically, it says Jesus is the promised Savior. The Lord meaning he's God the Son. This is the God-man who is on earth. And he was announced so specifically. Unto you is born this day in Bethlehem a Savior who is the promised one, the Messiah, the Lord and the Savior. So imagine the shepherds, right? Like they're taking this in. They're thinking like, what, what just happened? Like there's an angel. Here's the message. This is the best news. We've been waiting for this. And then they're thinking they're receiving it. Like who are we to receive this message? And then they think back to the beginning of the message and it says, good, good news of great joy that will be for who? For all the people. This isn't just for shepherds. This isn't just for Mary and Joseph. This is for all the people who would accept Jesus Christ by faith. So so this is like a take it in moment, like take in this briefing from above. You know when God gives good news, like we get news all the time. God gives good news. This is it. This is the headline. This is the headline of headlines delivered by the angels. And we have to take it in, not just in our minds, but by faith. So look at verses 12 through, through 14. It continues, right? The angel, there, more angels appear. And this, they say, this will be a sign for you. The baby will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There's manger the second time. And then 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. They're singing Gloria in excelsis Deo, if we were to translate that into Latin. So here's one really interesting thing about this moment. 
The literal kind of translation here is an angel army appeared. An angel army, right? So think about what does an army appearing usually mean? It means war, right? And when it's an angel army, it means judgment. But in this passage, it's an angel army declaring what? Peace. It's an angel army declaring peace. And why? Because on earth now is peace, and his name is Jesus Christ. Our means of peace with God through Jesus Christ is on earth. It's what the angels are singing about. Why are the angels singing glory to God in the highest? It's because Jesus Christ is on earth, and he brings peace. Why is an angel army who is often dispatched for judgment, why are they singing peace? Because Jesus is here. God offers that peace to all of us and we can place our faith in him and be forgiven. So we've seen glory of God in the lowest and we've seen glory to God in the highest. So here's the third and final one from 15 through 21. It's glory to God named Jesus. Glory to God named Jesus. This is where it gets personal. This is where we take this passage and we're like, yes, this is history. Yes, this happened. Yes, this is the Christian faith. But have I applied this to me personally? Is this, is this, have I taken this in personally? So look at verses 15 through 17. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, just imagine that scene. Like there's so many scenes we could just pause and be like, what would that have looked like? Like they're there and then whoop, right, right? When the angels went away from them into heaven, like I would love to stop and think about that for a minute, but the shepherds are like, bigger subject, right? Jesus, right? So here I am distracted. All right, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The let us there is like, come on, let's go. It's the most urgent way you can say, let's go. It's not like, come on, bud. It's like, let's go, right? So some guy is yelling that. One of the shepherds and the rest of them are like, yeah, let's yell with you, right? 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying uh, that had been told them concerning this child. All right, uh, uh, we had a member telling us between the services, um, years ago, we for Christmas Eve, we watched this. We watched this video of this scene, and one of uh, her—it was, it was Kyla. I'll just tell you. All right, so Kyla, Kyla's telling me, you know that, you know that scene in that video we watched years ago, and the shepherds are like, it's like chariots fire. They're dun 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 dun. They're hustling, right? They're so imagine they're kind of up in the hills. Maybe they can see Bethlehem, so they are running and it is competition probably like who can get there the fastest same thing happens at Jesus's resurrection the disciples are racing to see who can get there first so they're hustling there they sprint down they find the manger and then they find Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths remember no no baby shower stuff they just had to take a garment and like rip it long ways and wrap Jesus in some swaddling cloths to swaddle him up Right? They find him in a manger with swaddling cloths. And the first thing they do is just talk to Joseph and Mary about everything that they'd seen. Imagine that. Joseph and Mary never met the shepherds before. Right? Here's a, literally a newborn baby. Minutes old, hours old. And these shepherds are coming in hot. Like, we just saw all these, all these angels and all of these things going on. And, and Mary and Joseph were like, 
what is happening, right? Like, imagine how overwhelming <laughs> that scene might have been. And then I just imagine, like, maybe at the end, they're like, hey, uh, by the way, my name's Mary, you know? <laughs> right? So, so ver- look at verses 18 through 21. And this is where it gets really personal. It says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So it's not just the shepherds, Joseph and Mary. There's a bunch of people that had gathered, right? Like, you can't not see the night sky light up with all those angels and hear that, right? So people have gathered around. They're hearing it. They've, they're hearing what the shepherds are explaining. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So that's what Mary's doing. And then look at what the shepherds do in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So his name, Jesus' name, means Savior, right? Jesus' name is his purpose. His purpose is his name, to save you, to save you particularly from your sins. So what's left now is we've, as we've taken in this passage and we've seen the moment as we know the Christmas story, what's left now for them in this passage and for us here today is personal application. Like, like, what do we do with this at this point? And what they do in this passage is, is three ways to ponder this. The question is, what are, what are you going to do with this passage? What are you going to do with this moment? What are you going to do with this historical thing that happened? God the Father transcendently sending down Jesus Christ, God the Son, to save humanity, their sins, to be peace. What are you going to do with it? So, so look at what happens. We, we kind of talked about it already. Verse 17 or verse 18 is all who heard it. What did they do? They wondered. So wondered is different than thinking, right? Like thinking, you're, yeah, it's like data, you're taking it in. That's what you could do. You could read this and be like, data, interesting. All right, I got it. I got Luke 2. But wonder is a different level, isn't it? Like you're thinking about the meaning of it, the significance of it. You're taking it in. It's not just like, okay, got it, memorized it. You're taking it in. You're giving it credence. You're letting it sink. And then Mary, it says she's treasuring these things in her heart. She's believing them. She's feeling this. She's feeling that God has sent the Son and that she gets a part of it. And some people are like, Mary didn't understand what was happening. Just read Luke 1. Like she, she explained all of this in a prayer a song to the Lord. And then the shepherds, in verse 20, what are they doing? They, they return, so they're going, that would have been difficult. Like, oh yeah, the sheep, right? So they're going back. <laughs> they got to go back to their jobs. But they're going back to their jobs. They're going back to their lives doing what? They're glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and then seen as it had been told them. So they went, and exactly what the angel said was happening. They're like, Lord, Exactly, like manger, swaddling cloths, ruler in Bethlehem, like what? And they go, and it was exactly like that. And they go back, and they're, they're personally applying it. So the question for us is, are we? Are we personally applying it? Have you pondered this to the point of giving glory to Jesus personally? Right, glory to God named Jesus is it just a mind thing for you? Like, I get it, right? I'm, I can attend a service. I can, I can hear about it. Or is it personal for you? 
Like, has it landed in your soul in a saving way? And what does that look like? It's, it's recognizing that you're a sinner, just like everyone in this passage, recognizing that you're a sinner and that you are significantly loved by God, that he would orchestrate all of these things so that by believing on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you can be saved. That's, that's it. That's peace from God that gets announced by one angel, then a multitude of angels, an army of angels. So why, why this phrase, Gloria in excelsis Deo? Why did the angel say glory to God in the highest? And, and we already answered it, but the answer is because peace is on earth. And, and it's not just like peace, Jesus. It's receive that peace with God. That's what he offers us. So it's the savior in a manger, then it's the Savior on the cross to give us peace with God. So what I want to do now as we close and kind of shift toward the candlelight close is, um, is offer each of you a moment to pray. And just meet with the Lord and talk to him for a moment about this passage. And um, maybe this has been, uh, maybe you are so caught up in the details of Christmas and family and presents and food and you know, like airport runs or whatever it is that you haven't really been able to sit down with the Lord just devotionally and say, thank you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're here, you're like, I'm at church the first time, never heard this stuff before. It's been a long time. You're away from him for a reason. I pray that today can be a day of return to the Lord or a day of coming to the Lord for the first time that you would place your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins. So Spend some time with the Lord, just pray, enjoy him. And then just a moment, I'll close us in prayer and lead us in the candlelight close.